Good morning. I welcome again to New Life. For those of you who are new or watch online for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here, and we're finishing up a series called Experiencing Generosity. And we've heard so far some very helpful and yet challenging messages about giving of ourselves in the area of talent and time and touch. And today's message is one that uh, actually a lot of people don't want to hear about. Uh, we, we really don't want to hear about being generous with our treasure, with our money. But I love preaching this message. In fact, I'll be honest with you. Other than talking about Jesus and salvation in him, I would rather talk about this topic than anything. And here's the reason why. Even though most pastors, actually I know a lot of pastors who never talk about money. Some people think the church only talks about money. But here's why I think it's so important. If you follow along in the outline, it's the first thing in your outline. How we relate to money tells us so much about our relationship with Jesus. How we relate to money tells us so much about our relationship with Jesus. And I didn't learn that in seminary when I was studying to be a pastor. You would think you would. I didn't learn that from some course I took after I got out of seminary. I learned that when I was 12 years old by reading a biography about Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was a baseball player, and a lot of the reason why he's still famous is because of a disease he developed, ALS, we now call Lou Gehrig's disease. But what I learned from reading that biography was that when Lou Gehrig was drafted by the New York Yankees, and he played for the Yankees from 1923 to 1940, he received a $10,000 signing bonus. Now you go, $10,000, like today they get millions of dollars, right? But $10,000 in today's dollars is $150,000. So that was a significant amount of money. And when the reporters interviewed them, they said, what are you going to do with $10,000? And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with $10,000, but I know what I'm going to do with the first $1,000. I'm going to give it to the Lord. And a follow-up question came from the reporter and said, how can you give away $1,000? He said, it's very simple. When my dad gave me my first dime, he taught me to give away a penny. That principle, the principle of giving away a tenth to the work of the Lord, is called tithing or, you know, giving a tenth. And it's a very uh, controversial issue in the church. I mean, it has been for decades, maybe for centuries. I don't really know. It's been a controversy ever since I've been in the ministry, which is 35 years. And the reason it's controversial is people say, well, you realize tithing is from the law of Moses. It's part of the law. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, then he overcame the law and we're not under the law anymore. Well, the truth of the matter is, tithing is way older than the law of Moses. In fact, two things that we often you know, have some disagreements about in the church these days are marriage and tithing, and both of them way predate the law of Moses. Marriage is actually in the fabric of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Genesis being the first book of the Bible, and chapter 1 and 2, obviously the first two chapters, and the only two chapters where everything was perfect, and marriage was made between a man and a woman uh, for for a life. That's the, that's the intention. Well, what about tithing? Well, tithing first appears in Genesis chapter 4, just the fourth chapter of the Bible, long before Moses was even thought of or born. Uh, and there's a guy named Abel. He's the son of Adam and Eve. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock to the Lord as an offering. That would be a lamb, right? And, and so the reason it's significant is it's the firstborn. That means that the, the, the you, I guess it is, had a lamb and there might have been a whole bunch of pregnant ones, but he didn't know if there was going to be another one. But he brought the firstborn, the best of his offering, to the Lord. And we don't know if that was 10%, but, but we do know that Abraham, in 
Genesis 14, went out in battle against some armies who had uh, kidnapped his nephew Lot. And when they won, they brought the spoils back, and he gave, Abraham gave 10%, a tithe, to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And the king of Salem is the king of peace. Many people think that Melchizedek is a precursor of Jesus. In any case, again, long before the law of Moses, there's tithing. And then Jesus also affirmed tithing. So here's the point. I learned from Lou Gehrig that tithing, giving 10% of what we earn or receive from others to the Lord's work, is normal. It's normal. And so as a 12-year-old, I started doing that. And it was pretty easy when I was a 12-year-old because I'd get a buck or two bucks or five bucks. You know, five bucks, 50 cents is not a big deal. It's easy to give 50 cents out of five bucks. If you have 50,000 bucks, it seems like 5,000 bucks is a big deal. But anyway, it's just what Lou Gehrig said. It's very simple and actually pretty easy. And the Bible is actually filled with illustrations and instructions about money. More than 2,000 times the Bible talks about money. And as Pastor Mark reminded us so powerfully a couple weeks ago, you don't own anything. I don't own anything. It all belongs to God. We came into the world with nothing. And when we leave, we're going to leave with nothing. The old question when I was growing up was, how much money did Howard Hughes leave behind? All of it. Um, He didn't have any left when he died. I mean, a bunch of people argued over it, but he didn't have any. And that's really the point. I learned that as a little boy because Tom and Bruce Terrell used to come across the street to play with my brother Ken and I. And Tom and Bruce would look at something like my little brother's bicycle and they'd say, can I play with that? And I'd go, sure, go ahead. I don't care. It's Ken's. You see, I didn't, I, I didn't really care if he played with Ken's stuff. But as I grew up, I learned that nothing belongs to me. And when nothing belongs to you, it's easy to share it. So a couple weeks ago at our financial foundation class, Tim Goddess, who comes here to New Life, member of New Life, was teaching. And Tim shared that when he was growing up, he wasn't part of church, he didn't know the Lord, and as an adult, he became a believer in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But he said, even though Jesus was my Lord and Savior, I didn't think he was Lord and Savior of my money. I didn't think that it was like a whole package deal. And so what he said was, I started, you know, listening to Christian radio, and every time I'd turn on the radio, it seemed like they were saying, you know, tithing is an important part of our life, generosity is an important part of our life. And he said, one time there's this illustration, and the illustration that was given was the thing that took him over the top and made him realize that generosity is part of our life as a follower of Jesus. And actually what it was, this story goes, this grandpa went to McDonald's and he bought his grandson a Happy Meal. And so he hands the Happy Meal to the grandson. And of course, the grandson opens up. And he goes, "Woo, transformer. That's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, then he gets out his French fries. And the little kid's eating his French fries, you know, and grandpa reaches across the table and says, may I have one of your fries? And the little boy goes, no, they're mine. Now, here's the thing. Grandpa is the one who bought the Happy Meal, right? And here's the other thing. Grandpa could have bought enough French fries to bury the little kid in French fries, right? (laughs) Grandpa doesn't need the French fry. What grandpa wants the little kid to understand is how much fun there is in sharing your French fries with other people. (laughs) You see, grandpa wanted the little boy to understand that when you share, you feel good. Now, obviously, in the story, I'm the little boy. You are the little boy, and grandpa is God. Now, we're not saying anything like God's old and crotchety, not not at that at all. 
I'm just saying that God owns everything. It's all his. And when he developed this idea of tithing, he did it so we would actually feel good. And that's what Pastor Mark told us about a couple weeks ago. Remember a couple weeks ago when he talked about the whole deal with um, the amygdala, the little almond-shaped things in our brain, and when we give. And even though I know that that French fry is from yesterday, when I gave it to Kina, I felt good. And, And that's because I know what it says on the label there. It says, reheat for four years in a microwave. It'll taste just the same, right? Okay, so it might not say four years, but anyway. Um, that's what my experience has been. They taste just as good. So that's why I enjoy talking about giving because it makes us feel good when we do what God created us to do. Back in January, I introduced this idea. It's not a new idea, but it's a new way of expressing a long time idea we've had at New Life. And it was called Each One, Everyone, Are We Ready to Do Whatever It Takes? And I said that when each one of us invests our life for Jesus, then everyone experiences God. I said, if each one of us you know, invests our lives for Jesus, then everyone experiences God. And I said at that time, and I'll say it again today, and I'm going to keep saying it until it happens, I'm going to say this. I believe that one day each one of us, not 20% of us, not 80% of us, but each one of us here at New Life, it's part of New Life, is going to be generous in giving of our time and our talent, our touch and our treasure, and that when we do that, when that happens, we're gonna be able to do things that we have not even yet imagined as a church. The ability for us to reach people here in Saxonburg, our region, our nation, and the ends of the earth is gonna increase and multiply exponentially. And the thing is, a lot of people, a lot of people still, they're still holding their french fries close to their chest. And they're saying, they're mine. You can't have one, Anthony. They're mine. Okay? I'm keeping these french fries for myself. And the take-home point helps us to understand something. People think that God's against us having treasure. He's not against us having treasure. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. But before we get to that, let me explain to you what the take-home point is. Where we store our treasure matters now and for eternity. Where we store our treasure matters now and for eternity. So where are you storing your treasure? That's the question. And you might be thinking, I'm asking you, uh, do you have a 401k or do you have CDs? Do you have gold, you know, or do you have a safe in your basement where you're keeping your money? Because that's really the only place that you should keep your money so you always know you're gonna have it. Nobody can take it from you that way, right? That's not where I'm going with this at all. I'm going with where Jesus went. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You see, Jesus understood the dangers of storing our treasure up in heaven. If we take our treasure and we buy a lot of clothes with it and we put our clothes in a closet, the moths can come in and they can eat holes in our clothes. And, and we, we, if we, we buy a lot of cars with our, 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 our money, then the rust destroys the cars. And Jesus actually, I believe Jesus knew this was going to happen. He's Jesus, right? You know, he said, don't store up the treasure here because moth and rust destroy. And then he said, thieves break in and steal. And, you know, thieves can break in and steal our money. But in this day and age, they can break in and steal our identity. We can actually be, you know, have our own identity taken. So Jesus offered us a solution. Here's Jesus' solution. Jesus said to store our treasure in heaven. 
So what in the world does that mean? I mean, is he telling us that we should, you know, somehow, you know, wire our money on ahead to heaven? We, of course, can't do that. What is he talking about? Well, we have to know what is the treasure of heaven. If we're going to store treasure in heaven, we have to know what the treasure of heaven is so we can invest in that. And this is what Jesus said. Heaven's treasure is people. Heaven's treasure is people. We all know people who don't know Jesus. People in our family, people that, where we go to school, people where we work. They don't know Jesus. And what we know from Jesus' teaching is everybody needs to know him as Savior and Lord because that's the only way we're going to spend eternity together. So when we invest the stuff that we have in helping other people to come to know Jesus, we are investing treasure in heaven. If I told you right now, for example, that you could help a homeless child in Cambodia to escape the ravages of sex trafficking and come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord for $50 a month, would you do it? Now, I know there are people in the room here that are already giving $50 a month to the New Hope for Orphans ministry, and you're helping a child to escape that. Or maybe you give through Compassion International, or maybe you give through World Vision. It doesn't matter the organization. The point is, that is storing treasure in heaven. For the cost of four two-topping pizzas at Bocelli's every month, you can cause a little child to know Jesus and to be you know, to not have to go through one of the most horrendous things that a person could ever go through in their life. And that's another reason why I get excited when I start talking about giving generously of our treasure. Because I've been to Cambodia a dozen times. And I've had little babies who are no longer subject to what I just talked about. And little children I played with, you know, and there's two of them that I know by name because Nancy and I support them and I've had a chance to hug them and play games with them in Cambodia. And the funny thing is, when we go on a mission trip to Cambodia, the reason we're going is to help those people. We're giving to them. But the amazing thing is, I always feel like I receive so much more than I give. And that makes sense because this is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So some of you are still holding your french fries close to your chest. So you can't experience the joy that I can experience because I know these aren't my french fries. And I know I don't really want to eat them since I bought them yesterday afternoon anyway. But see, we hold on to stuff that we don't even want sometimes. But I'm going to find, okay... You're Eric. Eric, here, have a French fry. Okay. Jeff, have a French fry. Okay, now here's the thing. Even though, take them home, put them in the microwave, they'll be, you ate that. It won't kill them. Okay. We have insurance. Ah, so, so anyway, didn't see that coming. I really didn't see that coming. Um, but anyway, I want you to know something. I feel good right now. And I just gave away two French fries. That's, I mean, I really do. I mean, my amygdala are all lit up uh, because I gave away. And, and people, t people think it's their French fries, but it's not. Yeah, I bought them, but, you know, the, 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 the money that I received was a gift from God. Anyway, I have had people all my life say, well, you know, you got to give till it hurts. And I'll be honest, sometimes it does sort of feel like it hurts when you give, especially if you don't know why you're giving. If you don't know why you're doing, it can hurt a little bit. But some of you have already 
given online this week because you don't want to forget to do it. We're all going to have the opportunity to bring tithes and offerings, commitments of our heart to the Lord in just a little bit after this message is over. And if we give this way, like we reach in our wallet, like right now and we go, oh, I got four bucks left, and we put that in the offering, and that's all we got left after the week, then I think that kind of giving doesn't really feel very good. Because that kind of giving doesn't really see the big picture. It doesn't say, the reason I'm doing is I'm investing in the kingdom of God. I'm investing in people's lives so that one day that I'm storing up treasure in heaven. But when we do that, when we have that kind of attitude about our giving, it feels so good. In fact, the Apostle Paul said something. I've always loved this. Paul said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And then he says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And the Greek word for cheerfully there is hilarion. Do you hear an English word in there? Hilarious. God wants us to give hilariously. He wants it to feel good. In fact, both the Apostle Paul and Jesus talked about the heart as being the place where our giving originates. Paul said, decide in your heart what to give. And if, if you can't give five cents with a smile on your face, a little bit of laughter, then don't give any. You know, if, if, but if you can give 10%, 20%, whatever it is, and it makes you feel good, then do it. And Jesus said this, wherever the treasure of your heart is, you know, that's where your heart's going to be. And that's why he said to store up treasure in heaven. But I want you to picture this person. You all know this person. I know this person. I don't know. I mean, I know a person who all they invest their money in is cars. And I know this one person who had a garage, I mean, a bigger than this room, filled up with expensive cars. And that's what he spent his treasure on. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of cars. There really isn't, as far as that goes. But if that becomes the treasure of your heart, then that's where your heart's going to go. If that's where your heart is, and it could be a house, it could be a savings account, it could be whatever, you know, that that's where our heart goes. Jesus says that's what our true treasure is. And, and if it's not, if it's anything but heaven then we're missing out. We're losing out in our life. And Jesus went on to say something really, really hard when it came to this whole thing about money and, and him. And here's what he said. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, that's another reason I love talking about money, because Jesus said that money is going to be the chief rival God in our lives. And what did Jesus say? He didn't say it's really hard to serve two masters. He said no one can serve two masters. It just can't be done. And we've all tried it, right? Haven't we all tried to serve two masters? I remember when I first went in the ministry. And I used to work on my day off doing carpentry work to make enough money so Nancy and I could pay the bills. Because what I made as a pastor wasn't enough to pay the bills. So we had a couple who were good friends. We were good friends with this couple, and on Sunday afternoons in the summertime, we would go over to their house. Now, their house was big, and we walked through their big garage where their Porsche and their Mazda RX-7 convertible were sitting to get to their swimming pool. And when we got out to the swimming pool, actually, one of the things I always, I think was really the coolest thing to me, which is a little thing, they had their own pop machine. Like, it was like a pop bottles, too. It wasn't cans. It was bottles, right? And you didn't have to pay. You just put, you push the button and it came out. It was so cool. Anyway, I, do, I digress. So I'm sitting around the pool, right, on Sunday afternoons after church, and, and I start thinking this. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I mean, why am I doing what I'm doing? I mean, 
I would like to have the big house, and I don't care about the Porsche. I mean, I'd probably just have a Toyota Camry, but it would be new. You know, and, and I would have the, the, the pool and everything. And, and so I started talking to my friend about that, and he said, you know what? Why don't you just go back to school and become a chiropractor like I am? I'll pay for it, and you can become my partner. And I'm thinking, whoa, that means I can live next door, and I can have a swimming pool, and I can have my whatever, and Nancy can have her whatever, and it'll be awesome. And I'll be able to give more money to the work of the Lord than I've ever been able to give in my life. And I wish I could tell you that I only thought about that for about 30 seconds. And then I said, oh, Lord, I'm serving you. I'm storing up treasure in heaven and I saving souls. I would never think about doing that. But I thought about it long and hard. I really did. And then something hit me one day. I don't own anything. I don't own anything. And then I thought, I already have a swimming pool. His swimming pool. I don't have to clean it. I don't have to buy the chemicals. I have it. And then he let me take his car for a drive. Not the Porsche, but the Mazarx 7 convertible, you know. And I mean, I could drive it if I wanted to. And I didn't have to pay the insurance. I didn't have to pay the maintenance. I didn't have to pay any of that. And I could go over to his house anytime I wanted to. Because it wasn't his house. It was God's house. Now, I want you to not misunderstand this whole story because... That guy was actually doing what God created him to do. He was supposed to be a chiropractor. And when he went and ministered to his patients, he was storing up treasure in heaven. And when he wrote the big checks, he was storing up treasure in heaven. But I wasn't created to be a chiropractor. I was created to be a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, an evangelist. That's what God made me to do. And here's something that I know for each of us. I don't know if you're doing what God created you to do. I don't know that. But this is what I do know. There's nothing like serving Jesus' master and submitting all we are and all we have to him. There's nothing like that. You can't find anything like that. And when each one of us in this room watching online, which means when every one of us does that, what we can do as a church will be absolutely incredible. Now, here's the thing. New Life's already doing some pretty incredible things. From January 24th through March the 11th, there have been or will be mission people going out on short-term mission trips to New Guinea and the Caribbean and Honduras and Myanmar just last night. The team left just last night. And this Thursday, India, some of us are going to India. So we're already doing that. That doesn't even count the 53 zip codes that all of you live at, and you're going to go out and share the good news of Jesus in your places where you live, locally and regionally here in western Pennsylvania. And here's the thing. Who would have ever thought that a church in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania, would be able to have such an influence? Jesus did. That's who. Jesus thought before the creation of the universe that this was going to happen. And in his closing words, here's what Jesus said when he was talking about treasure and about serving God and all that. He said this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That single verse has guided my life, my family's life and new life for at least the last coming up on 19 years. It's, it's guided Nancy and me for all 40, almost one years of our marriage. And the thing is, when we do seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he promises to give us what we need. And in my experience, the best thing you can do is wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you. Thank you for providing what I need. And back whenever I was, you know, in, in Cincinnati, I needed a swimming pool, and he provided it through my friend. Um, 
I don't even need a swimming pool now because I don't really like being outside in the hot sun, you know? Um, so, but the point is, whatever it is that God needs you to have and you need to have and you want to have, God will provide it. But it starts with a very simple thing. It starts with recognizing these french fries aren't mine. These french fries are his. And so he will give them through me to somebody else. And if I want to eat a couple of them, which I don't, by the way, Jeffrey, but if I did, I could. I could eat 80% of them or 90% of them or however much percent of them I really could do that. And here's the thing that I want us to understand. That if you have never done that, if you've never been a generous person, if you've never experienced the joy of, and I would call it the joy of tithing or giving beyond the tithe, I'm going to make a challenge for all of us this morning. And here it is. I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to tithing for the next six months. Six months, okay? Half of a year. And the reason I'm asking you for six months is because that's a serious commitment. It's long enough to know whether it's something that you really want to do. And here's the thing. I don't care if you tithe on the gross or the net. People ask that all the time. I mean, ask God. I don't care. Um, the other thing is, please don't come up to me after church and say, well, you know, that's a mosaic thing. We don't have to do that because I've been giving 10% plus more than 10% since I was 12 years old. I know the joy that I have whenever I give. I don't have, you, you can argue with me, debate with me, but if you've never done it, you don't have a right to do that. But after six months, if you say it doesn't work, then go back to your old way. Seriously, I mean, after six months, if it doesn't work, go back to your old way. But here's the thing I can tell you. I've never had anybody who actually tried it for six months ever want to go back. What they say to me is people come to me and say, you know, I used to keep 100% of my money, and now I'm keeping 90%, or I'm keeping 85%. And what I don't understand is I have more now than I had when I kept 100%. How does that work? And John Maxwell told me a long time ago. He said, it's the big shovel theory. I shovel out, God shovels in, God shovels bigger than mine. <laughs> so, that's how it works. God has a bigger shovel than we do. And God will work and bless in our lives. So, if you are willing to do that, if you're willing to just say they're not my french fries, then you can do next, this week's next step. The next step is the action point, which simply says this. I will offer God the full use of my treasure this week. Now, the, that's a fun next step. I will offer God the full use of my treasure this week. The reason it's fun is because I know it's not mine. It's fun when you know it's not yours. It's never fun when you think it's yours. What? You want my money? No, he doesn't want your money. He wants his money. You see, whenever you start that change of mentality, not my fries, not my car, not my swimming pool, not my money, it's his. Then you can be like I was with my little brother's bicycle. So easy to give away, right? And here's the thing. It's a win-win-win situation. Not just a win-win. It's a win-win-win. Because first of all, you win when you do what God calls you to do. There's just a win in that. Just being obedient to God, that's a win. The second win is how good you're going to feel. I mean, I felt good by giving Jeffrey a French fry. I'll feel really good if he doesn't get a stomachache before church is over, you know? Um, and the third win is the other people. The other people, what they receive, they say, wait a minute, how can you be so generous? Well, easy, because God's generous. And then they don't think about you, they think about God. And maybe they end up in heaven someday, and that's the treasure of heaven. And as we store up treasure in heaven, God, 
God is the one who is the biggest winner because that's why he created us, to be with him and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you so much that you have given us every good and perfect gift. And we thank you today that you have shown us how important it is to put you first, to recognize that everything is yours. And God, as we consider how we can be generous or more generous, God, pour your Holy Spirit into us. And I pray for anybody who's watching online or anybody who's here in the room today who's never even trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that in this moment, each of them would say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I I know that not only do I want you to be in charge of my stuff, I want you to be in charge of me. I want you to be my owner, my master. That's Lord. I want you to be my Savior and save me from sin and death. And God, for all of us who have already done that, I pray for a new measure of your Holy Spirit to allow us to be joyful in giving, to allow us to be generous with our time, with our talent, with our touch, and with our treasure so that we can store up treasure in heaven so that one day we'll have people greeting us in, the, in, in your heavenly streets saying thank you because of your generosity I'm here today. God, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.